Welcome to Faith and Politics, a Taboo Table Talks podcast. My name is Thomas White, and I'm your host. Tonight, you'll be joined by Councilwoman Sandra Vincent and Dr. Karen Smith as they talk about the cult of Trump and how progressive politics is actually motivated by the love of Christ. Again, my name is Thomas White. I believe that women have the right to choose what happens to their bodies, that black lives matter, that common sense gun control can save lives, and that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Okay, welcome back to the Faith and Politics, a Taboo Table Talks podcast. Today, our guests are Dr. Karen Smith and McDonough City Councilwoman Sandra Vincent. Uh, Neither of them know very much about each other. Dr. Smith knows that Sandra Vincent is a councilwoman, and Councilwoman Vincent knows that Dr. Smith's a doctor. I don't even (laughs) think I said what type of doctor she is, actually. So, good one. A good one. A good one. one. There you go. Uh, Dr. Smith's in Texas, and Councilwoman Vincent's in Georgia. So, we have the South pretty well uh, represented here today. So, let's start with uh, Dr. Smith. I want to hear your story because it is very unique. I, you know what? I take that back. Parts of it are not unique because it's become all too commonplace in the church. Unfortunately, I I was just about to say that to you. Yeah, I'm afraid it's not unique at all, but it is taboo. And so we'll, we'll go there. Okay. Good evening, everybody. It's just nice to be here. Thank you, Councilwoman, for coming. I, I think the cause of Jesus in this day and age is so important and I think for me, the most important thing is rooting out error, Um, not out of any sense of enmity, but so that we can show Jesus as he really is to a hurt world who needs the love of God. Um, I'll leave that at that. But um, yeah, so I was, um, I'm a cradle Baptist, and there's no such thing as a cradle Baptist because in the Southern Baptist Convention, you got to be born again. There's right. no, God has no grandchildren, right? But uh, my uh, grandmother was a founding member of Lester Roloff's Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, which was a very big influence here in Texas back in the, back in the day. And uh, I grew up hearing about Jesus and When I was about seven years old, I was alone in my room. And I can remember thinking about this idea of, I want to give not just my heart, but my life, my identity, my service to a higher purpose, um, to God, to Jesus. In those days, I would have said, I want to, you know, make him my Lord. And I can remember even at seven, having think about that for a couple weeks it's not something you do lightly if you mean it and uh and then being a very bright little girl I I was a little bit worried about the make him my lord and obey him thing but I was even more worried about the going to hell thing and so I decided to make the obvious choice and I uh um I committed my life to to Jesus, to God, as I understood him through through Jesus in my bedroom um, when I was seven years old. Uh, We we were living in Puerto Rico. So um, I had this real 
privilege in that I look very, 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 very white. But I am Latina on the inside because of where I grew up. I have a friend, uh, she was a nurse that worked, we worked together for years and years and she was a funny outspoken person. And one day I came to work and she said, Dr. Smith, you is Puerto Rican. And I said, no, Krisha, I'm, I'm really not. I mean, here and here I am. She said, mm -mm, you always late, you always loud, you always friendly, you is Puerto Rican. <laughs> so I'm saying, with apologies to all my friends, the Boricua, that I think most of them would say amen. Um, the island was an amazing place to be a kid. Um, my earliest memories are there. Um, people from all over the world come there. And it's beautiful there. And the weather's mild, but sunny. And your dad has a sailboat. And you go out on the sailboat. And the water, you can see the bottom. And I'm from Texas. Where the beaches are silt. And the Gulf of Mexico, you know, the water's gray. And I just... Um, I was thriving in this place. And then you're going through this experience of at seven years old, going to first grade in two languages and having your little brain stretched with a whole nother way of looking at the world. Cause that's what a language is. It's a way of looking at the world. There never is a word for word translation because language carries culture inside of it. And uh, you're going to school and you're, friends are from all over the world. I had a best friend that I thought was Puerto Rican. And for many, many years, I, I, I studied some bilingual education. I did a master's in teaching and I really worked to be multicultural, really worked to be multicultural. This was back in the day when those were the appropriate words. And um, I finally realized, dang it, I'm bicultural. Everything that's not American or Texan, I think is Puerto Rican or Hispanic. And <laughs> this little girl, she had the cutest boots. We had to wear little uniforms and they were dingy gray plaid, typical school uniforms. But she had the cutest yellow go-go boots and I just loved them. And uh, I went to her house one time and she was a brown girl, of course, with dark hair. And her mom wore the prettiest clothes and, and their house was smaller than ours. I, I, I kind of noticed that at seven. That's about all. I didn't think of it meaning anything at seven. And we had the best time and I went home and um, I would be 42 before I figured out that my best friend in first grade in Puerto Rico was from India. And that what her mother wore was a sari and that her name was not Maria, but Mira. And it took until I got to know some other people from India in my bicultural world for me to go, oh, wait a minute. That, um, I had a Glenn Campbell record. That's how long ago this was. And I would play it on my little phonograph and I would ask my mom what all the words meant when I didn't know the Spanish words. And I ran into the kitchen one day and I said, mommy, 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 what's a Wichita Lineman? Because the album said Wichita Lineman. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so anything I didn't understand, I just assumed it was Spanish, right? Um, <laughs> but that's about where I was at. And I was so happy. And we just had, we're having the time of our lives, our little family. I was the oldest kid. We were all quite small, living on the island. It was an adventure. Um, and I asked my mom to call the pastor to come get me baptized because I had given my heart to Jesus in the middle of all this. And the pastor came over and we were going to an English speaking church that was interdenominational. So it was kind of Methodist Presbyterian. And um, 
the priest came over and and I remember being so disappointed in this pastor because he said to me, well, you're really young and we need to make sure this is real. And so if in two months when you turn eight, you still want to do this, I will baptize you. And I thought, what kind of idiot pastor doesn't know when God is doing something in the lives of one of the people in his church? And that I was really, really disappointed in this man. And uh, that's how I know how old I was when I got saved, because I didn't write it down anywhere. And it didn't happen in a meeting. But I know it was two months before I turned eight. And uh, I waited him out. And then I called my mom. And I said, hey, it's been two months. It's almost my birthday. Will you call that preacher guy and see if he'll baptize me? And they did. And he did. And we shortly moved to a Baptist church on the island. I don't know what flavor of Baptist it was. Whatever it was, it was lovely. And I remember a, a young lady, she was probably 25 or 30, but to me, she was all grown up and she knew all the hymns by heart. And I would stand by her and just watch her sing without the hymn book. And I got baptized in a swimming pool and I'll be my Pentecostal self now. And the presence of God just filled up the place and it was a very big deal. It was also really nice because that pastor was cool. And he said, hey, when I put the handkerchief on your face, if you want me to, I'll hold your nose. And I was like, oh, thank God. I was so worried about getting baptized. Um, so that's how I experienced becoming a Christian. It was in a haze of beauty and culture and love and sunshine and keep unity. Um, and I began to know sometime that year that I was supposed to be a doctor, a missionary doctor. I knew it was a ministry call and I knew it was a medical call. And that didn't bother me because all of my heroes in the Baptist church um, were missionaries because growing up in the Southern Baptist church, you could sing, teach the children, or be a missionary, but it seemed like the missionaries did everything. So right. that was the role model that, that I reached for and also that God put into my heart. And so we moved back to Texas, and it was awful. The culture shock coming back was horrific. You don't realize how much you change in two years at that age. And it was 1972. And I guess I had completely missed the civil rights movement and the racism. I can't remember, and this is one of the blessings and privileges in my life. I can't remember ever seeing a colored water fountain. I can't remember ever seeing a colored entrance. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, we came back in 72 and I guess it was all gone. And when we left, I had very few conscious memories yet. So that was nice. A nice thing to miss. Um, but all the kids in my school seemed to congregate by skin color and not talk to each other. The buildings were dingy and dark, and I'm sure they were expensive, but no windows and no sunshine and no iguanas to chase and no palm trees and no lagoons. And, and I just really, really struggled coming back to Texas. And I never, ever felt like I fit in here again. I never felt like a Texan again because I had been stretched. And right. you, got, you can't put that new wine back into that old wine skin. Um, sure. We began to move and we ended up going to a different school every year until I was in seventh grade. And I was a bright kid and I was nerdy and 
I knew that if I wanted to be a doctor, I had to make good grades. So I had been diligent from first grade up. And so I was that kid. Like every spelling test was for Jesus and a 95 wasn't good enough. And I had to give it my all. And, um, and, uh, and my, my parents never seemed to be the same after we got back here. And they ended up getting a divorce when I was about 12. And the mythology in my family, the narrative goes something like, if only we hadn't come back from the island. All these right. terrible things wouldn't have happened if only we hadn't come back from the island, which is silly, but that's our, our version of the story um, that we tell each other and we tell ourselves. And so that kind of messed things up. My dad had moved us to a new town and moved us into a Methodist church. And I would walk in and go, these people aren't even saved. Mm. And I, would, I couldn't trust them. I had been so indoctrinated that there was only one real gospel and it was the Southern Baptist gospel. And I was standoffish. I was probably really prideful. I was hurting. I was in middle school and it's just a bad combination. And that church was bringing in youth directors from seminaries in the summers. And they brought someone who helped me. And he was from Oral Roberts University. Mm. And he ended up going to Asbury for a seminary. And um, he's, he's gone on, God rest his soul. But Brad Ramsey might have been the ugliest person I have ever known physically. He had a droopy puppy dog face and a lot of freckles. And he was round in all the places you shouldn't be round. <laughs> and his chin drooped and his mustache drooped. And, and, and we couldn't get enough of him. The high schoolers adored him. He had this infectious joy and he loved us. And he didn't care if we were confused or prideful or stuck or hurting or never really fit in. He loved us. And he taught us about God and he taught us about the Bible and he treated us as if we could understand that. And he played goofy games and sang lots of songs and he organized us into a traveling show choir and we toured Texas for years on the Methodist circuit doing musicals. He just believed we could do things and, uh, and that helped me. And um, we had some ugly things happen. My mom remarried a man in the church and um, that didn't go well. Um, some bad things happened and we were looking for some healing and we started going to the charismatic churches around Houston. We were at Lakewood and we were at every Pentecostal church that would open its doors and pray for us for healing. And I, I didn't know all that was going on, but I knew I wasn't comfortable. And I remember my stepfather, who was a member of our church, um, he, I had known his wife and they had just gotten divorced and, uh, I can remember awkward times he would come to the house and bring my mother perfume and she would say it was for me. And it was weird. It was really weird. Um, but he sat me down before the wedding and said, I, I, we have a problem and I don't think you trust me. And I was 13 years old and I found the backbone in all my messiness and hurt at that point to say, mm, I, I think trust has to be earned. I think that comes with time. He was not trustworthy and to me. And I, I felt that deep inside me. And um, mother is a fighter and a warrior. 
she had a baby. So I have a brother who's 17 years younger than me. And uh, she um, said, you know, you really have this call to the ministry. So-and-so is hiring and he's a minister. Why don't you see if you can get that job in his office? So after school, I worked for a nationwide ministry in the charismatic movement. Worked in the mailroom, worked on the prayer line, was a general gopher. Um, and then she would say, you know, you really like dance. Why don't you take another ballet class? Why don't you take another jazz class? And I didn't realize it, but um, what she has told me is that he had told her that if she ever left him, he would molest me. And wow. this, this is just real life for girls in America. These are taboo topics, but these are not uncommon topics. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. I just knew I didn't trust him and I didn't want to be around him. And I had the best high school experience. I had so much support from my mom, like, go do this, go do that. I was running the student government and running 10 clubs and running the Christian clubs. And we were having a revival in the high school and I was in all these classes and I just never went home. And uh, that was her way. And, and later I went to college and she divorced him two months in two months after I was out of town. Wow. But that was five years of her life that weren't pleasant. And she did that for me. And I can remember as a young woman being angry at her, like, why didn't you, we could have fought him together. We could have gotten out of there. Um, but now I've learned to say, thank you for what you found the wherewithal to do as a woman in that situation at that time to protect your children and to get out. Wow. And, and I really appreciate her and, and her, her actions to protect me because I didn't have a clue. I got a full scholarship to Texas A&M University and I uh, went there and I knew I was supposed to be a doctor, except that I knew now that Christians couldn't be doctors and that you didn't need doctors and that women were always supposed to stay home. And, and I was a hot, hot, hot mess with a high IQ. Wow. And I hit the college scene completely confused and no idea what to major in. And I just floundered, but it was my only way out of that house was to make a 3.0 so that I could keep my scholarship, which in those days paid for everything. Right. And I did that. And um, really, really just kind of rattled around. We kept skipping class to do ministry. We would, I had found a charismatic Methodist church, which is one of the strangest things I've ever found in my life. <laughs> And uh, we would work with the St. Stephen's ministry and deliver food to the homeless and to the poor instead of going to class. We were those people. And we almost flunked out, but not quite. I remember one semester I made a 2.9 and I got a nice letter from the honors program that said, you might want to do something about this so we can keep you. Right. And I seriously. And the next day I went and I tried to transfer to ORU. I thought I must have made a mistake. I don't have a major because I didn't go to the Christian school and um so I transferred to Oral Roberts University to study Bible, not doctoring. Right. And my mother is so sweet and so smart. And she said, honey, I know this is God. And I know you have faith. And I know that you think I probably am just a little lacking in faith. But would you do this for me? Now, in those days, we didn't do everything on computer. Everything was paper, right? She said, don't cancel your registration at A&M yet. Get on up there. Make sure you like it. Just do that for me, even if I'm the one who's weaker in her faith. And I said, okay, I'll do that for you. 
And I got up there and I hated it. I hated it. I had been stretched and I had grown and I had hurt and I had struggled. And the kids I ran into had not had that happen to them. And my last day there, I mean, it was terrible. In those days, you had to wear a skirt to go to the cafeteria, a skirt to go to class, a skirt to go to the library. So I was just like, well, this is stupid. And I went to Kmart and I bought a black and white, no, hot pink and black tiger striped sundress. Just to make a just to make a point, because it was a skirt. <laughs> I wore it everywhere. And I would go out at night when no one was looking and stick my feet in the river of life. I was like, it's concrete. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was just very, very angry. This was not a good fit for me. And I went to my first missions class and the teacher got up and they were all excited because he was just back from the mission field. And he says, um, we don't need any more preachers on the mission field. We need teachers, doctors, farmers. And I went, wait a minute. So I ran up to him when the class was over and said, I, uh, I just left Texas A&M and I was doing a pre-med degree to come here and study Bible. And he goes, yeah, you'd be better off to go home. And I went to revival that night and prayed it out and called my mom and she drove all, she flew up there with my three-year-old brother and we drove back. She went in a car and we took all my stuff and we drove back to College Station. They got there with 30 minutes to spare, picked up my scholarship, check enrolled me. And I went to Sunday school that weekend in my charismatic Methodist church in the big college class. And the teacher stood up and said, I'm organizing a trip to Mexico. If, if you know Spanish or will learn it, I will pay your way. Wow. Had the gift of being bilingual through no effort of my own. So I said, does that count? He said, yes. And my missionary career began that semester. Um, the next year, another preacher came to town who was much more intense and in my view, much more anointed. And we all left that church, my group of friends, to start this new church. And that's what you have been alluding to tonight. It would turn out to not be a good place, to not be a healthy place. And I didn't know that I was a setup for a cult leader. I didn't know that I was still looking for my daddy and still used to my stepfather. I didn't know that church had taught me to not talk back. I didn't know. You know, and a lot of us women who grew up in church in America in this generation, we think that we're strong personalities and we're outspoken, but when the rubber hits the road, we cave because we were told that was what we were supposed to do. And, and you end up with no authentic sense of self. So one of my um, mottos, that, one of my hashtags right now is uh, hashtag the casual misogyny of everyday America. Yes, yes. We just, we lace it into our humor. Humor's the best place to put things that you shouldn't say. Locker room um, humor. I believe is the term they used when I... there's that, but even the, even the little things, I, I went to a church when we first moved here and I was looking for one and I was visiting around and I thought I'll go visit here. And my husband was busy that day. I said, I'll go check it out. And I went into the restroom and they had the speakers going and I was about five minutes late. Cause you know, I'm Latino. I'm gonna say, and um, see, that's one of those things. I just did it. You embed the things you shouldn't say in humor. I, I repent. Thank you, my Latinx brothers and sisters. I am not in any way stereotyping you guys. Um, and the preacher stood up and he said, well, it's Father's Day, but you know, it's always all about the mothers. And he got a little bit of a laugh. And I picked up my purse and I walked to the lobby and I found an usher and I said, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here today. 
And I want you to know, and I want you to tell your pastor this, because he started his sermon by demeaning women. He couldn't even compliment men without demeaning them. This is not going to be a healthy place for him. Wow. Right? But I've come a long way since the cult. And so what happened there was it got to be very small, very insular, very controlling. You know, when you combine an unhealthy personality. With and just to clarify, just to oh, clarify, yeah. we're talking about the uh, the pastor that moved to town. Yeah. Backing up to the college right now. Well, I've healed a lot to be able to do that because back yeah. then, all I knew how to do was obey. And when I'm working with teens and their parents in clinic, I really start around nine saying it's time to shift from just obedience. I want to know that they have courage. Right. I want to know your experience because because of what you went through. And I don't tell my experience to my patients. I tell my friends because she ended up taking her own life in the middle of all this. Um, She was the only one of us who couldn't grab a boy and get married. The church was mostly girls. There wasn't a lot of room for masculine personalities next to the big ego. And um, I grabbed the one of the elders and my best friend grabbed the other elder and the rest of the girls were like, what do we do? And, uh, and you had to be married to really be a complete Christian woman. And it drove some people insane. And so I lost two friends to suicide and then we lost another church member. And my husband was in leadership in this church. So in 10 years there, or the congregation of 30 that never really grew. People would come and go, but it would never get any bigger. And we weren't really allowed to do outreach. We were supposed to be going deeper. We were mm. more spiritual than the other churches. We were special. Right. right. And we didn't contaminate ourselves with other churches. And it was just evil, but we were dumb and gullible and prideful and all those things. But we had three people kill themselves. That's a 10% suicide rate in nine years. Because of just what you were going through at the church. Or rather, at this point, we can say it was a cult. At this point, we can say that this church was on the cult registry. Yeah, this church was on the cult registry. It wasn't a fun cult. Like, we didn't swap partners or store weapons. It wasn't like, it was just like, obey the preacher, whatever he says, cult. You were in a cult, and it was a boring cult, too. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I could have had some fun, right? Um. It was never direct either. And I. And this is why I think I cottoned on to Trump so quickly. Um, pastor would never say, oh, I'm going to tell you what to do now. He'd say, oh, it's not my job to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you're listening, the Holy Ghost, you'll know. Right, right. What to do. And that's and very similar to some of the lines that Trump has used. Yeah. Right. It'll come out in the sermon right. when God's using me, when it's not me. Right. You should Right. And it was evil and it destroyed a lot of lives. And yet it was such a beautiful group of people, you know, God's mm-hmm. people are sweet. And so Dr. Smith, I would like to, uh, your story, since you first show, first told me about it, I started thinking, wow, this is one of the, uh, this is one of the quiet stories you don't hear about that people need to know about. Like this yeah. is some of the stuff that Christian that is being done in Christian in Christ's name. Uh, people are using the Bible, using Christ, using the church to abuse others. And yeah. this is one of those quiet stories you don't hear about. But in reality, this actually goes on a lot more than we think about. Hey, woman, uh, we haven't really got into the politics aspect of this 
very much yet, but I'm, I'm really curious to, to know your thoughts on what you've heard so far from Dr. Smith and what she's been through. Uh, I know you yourself has, have had journeys and uh, struggles that you have dealt with and overcome. So I, w- I would like to, you to weigh in, if you would, on what we're talking about so far. So I'd, I'd like to applaud Dr. Smith for sharing her story because I know that a portion of that is, is very painful. It's uh, trauma and triggering mm-hmm. because what we have to understand is as it relates to faith and our belief in God, that is the single most intimate part of us. Right. And so, yes. So when we allow people to go into that inner space, the Bible refers to it as being the holies of holy. Right. And they, they come in unclean and untrustworthy, then people are left feeling violated. And, yes. and sometimes folks never heal from that because they don't encounter the people who can really speak to their trauma and help to walk them through the healing process. But we have to understand that that was not God, that that was the spirit of witchcraft as the Bible refers to as being manipulation. That's right. And that's who the thief is that John 10, 10 talks about. It says that the thief cometh but to steal, to kill and to destroy. And when you look at the words which are used in that in their original context, it means that the person who corrupts the thinking of man for his own gain. And so a lot of that has happened, but I think our message to ourselves and our message to the world is that that is not Christ. That is the good news of, of the gospel. And um, I I don't want to take up too much of Dr. Smith's time because I so appreciated what she she was saying and and running parallel to that is the fact that you have these scenarios where people have perverted their authority, but it's individual Christians dealing with people on a day-to-day basis. Yes, some of us are doing the same thing to others simply because they don't carry the banner of Jesus Christ. And 100% correct. Yes. Yes, we we just have to understand that the church came came after Jesus. Come on. When he was here and walking around in his earth suit, uh, the message that he was sharing was the good news of his father. And there's more that I can say about that, but again, I don't, I don't want to take this moment. Yeah, and I, I can bring the politics into this a little bit. This, what I'm talking about is patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And when we say patriarchy, we're not talking about men. There are good people, whatever their gender. What I'm talking about is a system that says that women are less. Right. A, a, right. a systemic oppression of women is so ingrained in our society as to be invisible. And people and within the church, people so within the much church have so used that. Well, the church hands the world the biggest weapons for this, right? Right. Giving them some proof text scriptures that taken out of context. Exactly, right. taken out of context. But this is why you saw after the election of an abusive man, abusive in temperament, abusive in tone. I don't know him personally. And before God, my heart is clear. I don't hate the man. I don't know the man. 
but abusive in tone, a bully, a rumored and alleged to have abused women, abusive to a woman publicly during debates, that we elected the abuser above the most qualified woman, qualified person ever to run, one of the foremost qualified people ever to run. And she was a woman. And we'll take an unqualified abuser over a qualified woman. An unqualified abuser who bragged about his abuse. Yes, who celebrates the cruelty. Um, That was a gut punch to the women of this country. And And that's why you saw this women's march immediately. Because we weren't fooled. We've been gaslighted. I hate to overuse that term, but it means something. We've been manipulated. We've been all of those rhetorical devices that candidate Trump would use on the campaign trail were the same rhetorical devices my cult leader would use. Oh, I never said that. Right. Right. Oh, no, I didn't say that. No, that wasn't me. And you're like, but I was there. I and heard so, you. And so what point did you break out? Did you realize, because you, you realized it in Trump, because you had seen it in your cult leader. Right. So at Which what is, point yeah. did it you realize? Faster. It gets faster as a woman gets stronger. <laughs> right, right, right. How did you um, determine that this, this ultra conservative closed knit, this wasn't yeah. the way Christ meant things to be? How did you figure that out? So there was a girl who... Um, had been a roommate of mine. We were all roommates, so yeah. But for a brief time, she had shared her home with me right before my wedding, which was just lovely. And we were good friends. Um, She met a young man who still went to the charismatic Methodist church and liked him. And um, they began to go to coffee and court. And uh, he wanted to come to our church. And she said, please don't come because you distract me. And I want my eyes to be on Jesus. So he went back to his uh-huh. church. And the next Tuesday night, the sermon during prayer meeting, the impromptu sermon that the Lord gave during prayer meeting was about how we shouldn't fellowship with unbelievers and about some, how some of us were even dating them in a congregation wow. of three, right? My husband and the other elder who were 29, he never made the grown men elders. His elders were in their 20s. Um, went to him in private. I didn't know this. These, these two young men were so discreet and so kind that I was married to one of them. And the other was married to my best friend and I did not know this for years. They went to him in private, like the Bible says to you. And they said, brother, we think there is a problem here. And all these years, people have accused us of being controlling and we know we aren't, but the other night you were. And we want to talk about it and give you a chance to repent. Yeah, that didn't go well. Right. His, his eyes would glaze over and he would start pacing. He would, his countenance would change. And uh, he would begin to yell. And for the next two years, the sermon, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, prayer meeting, was Satan's working in the elders to accuse the ministry. Wow. He's even trying to get the elders. Right. And we didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew. It took a year for him to preach one of them out of the church. Being the subject of the sermon four times a week. And it took him two years to preach my husband out. And I stayed. And I stayed. Because my husband was broken. 
and grieving and confused. And I would go to church and the pastor would be smiling and joyful and confident. And I was like, well, which one's God? You know, and I was young and dumb and I was terrified of going to hell. And um, I would have told you that I couldn't go to hell for leaving the church, but I was terrified of being deceived and missing God's best for my life. That's more honest. Right. I was terrified of missing God's best. So people were, the cult leader was playing on your fear yeah, and using it to accuse the people that could hold him accountable. Wow. That sounds like a huge parallel to something we just saw <laughs> that uh, a certain political leader who had a golden statue of himself uh, at CPAC this past year. Yeah. And we all know I'm talking about uh, Donald right. Trump. Whenever he's accused mm -hmm. or confronted, the mm -hmm. first thing he does is demonize and he uses people's fear. Mm -hmm. people's fear. And this is becoming more and more of a conservative, uh, uh, the far right, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Jim Jordan. Uh, they all use fear yeah. to try to bring people in line and say, this is what's happening to our country. It's going to be bad unless we do something. Uh, and it's the tool of patriarchy entwined with white supremacy. And some of them don't even know it. I will say that because I was raised in it. You really can be there and not know that because you're right. just a sheep. you're a sheep trying to obey God. Um, but when we say patriarchy, we really should say white patriarchy. It is. Um, well, it's it, I've seen black patriarchy too, um, but that's a whole other story. But I, I just think it's really critical that we point out that the women weren't deceived. Um, Beth Moore. This has changed her world. So I. Um, had another baby. I had had at that point five kids in six years um, because, you know, when you don't go to the doctor, it gets really tricky to, yeah, to do that well. Um, we were having so many babies that our small congregation ran out of names that started with J. Wow. So this baby was named Molly after my husband's mother. And the day I had Molly um, in 1995, I won, the last man killed himself wow. that day. Same day. The last I, man in the congregation. Yeah, yeah the, the, the third suicide. And I right. said, you know, something on the inside of me just snapped. And I said, I'm done. Right. First it was Jan, then it was Barbara. And I tell you their stories if we had more time. They're appalling. And mm -hmm. These were wonderful young women. Um, and then this sweet old man. I, I didn't go into the ministry to kill people. Right. So I called George and... I said, I want to leave this church. He said, don't. And I'm like, what? You've been gone for a year. He said, well, you just had a baby. And this is how misogynistic we were. He said, you've always said that everyone who left had either just had a baby or was nursing and they weren't in their right minds. And I said, well, we're always having babies or nursing. So how could you ever be in your right mind? Um, he said, give it a couple months and make sure. Now I'm back to that stupid pastor when I was seven years old. I'm like, wait. So I did, I stayed, and he began to go to a Baptist church that he saw on TV, and he began to start to heal. And uh, one day I surprised him at the Baptist church, and we met the pastor, and I went back to the cult leader, because I was still dumb, and I said, I've got the best news. George is going to be okay. He's in another church. Isn't this wonderful? And it was the first time I had ever seen it happen. The eyes glazed. The pacing started. Sister Karen, the devil's going to get you. And I felt in my emotions 
as if, maybe my spirit, as if he was reaching out to choke me. And that was the last time I ever went there. But when I pulled away, I felt like I had robbed a bank. I felt so guilty. It took me for a long, long time to not feel guilty. And then it took me a long time to not feel guilty about my friends who had died. Right. But we all talked to each other into staying all the time. Um, and their parents have been good to me. And I finally decided the best thing I can do is talk to every parent about their daughter letting her fly and not just obey. And I tell the stories of Jen and Barbara, not my own, to my patients and say, if you train your kid just to obey, they'll find someone to obey when they leave home. So you have to train your kids to think, to question, to argue with you respectfully, to find their own truth, to seek God for themselves. And you want to do it early so they can make their mistakes while they're still home. So start right. around nine. Start around nine. That's when adult brainwaves start. And, and raise some competent kids who can see through the bull, not just obedient. And now we face a time in America mm-hmm. when I'm sure, as you've already stated, you see parallels to your experience. Yeah, it's uh, the same. In that culture, yeah. in which they're now now it's Christianity just isn't being used to. Uh, and it's been used to do so many terrible things in the past. Everything from uh, burning witches to uh, justifying enslaving an entire race of people. It's been you used know, to justify so many terrible I'm not even the convinced they were ever really witches. Oh, yeah, of course not. Of course they not, were yes. burning women. They were burning right. women. They, they, were were burning, women. they were burning women who didn't go with what they told, what the Puritans told them to do. But uh, it's, it's so, it's, Christianity has been used to do so much evil. And now, in a big sect of American Christianity, uh, it's being, the fear yeah. is being used by political leaders and echoed even by pastors and leaders in the church yes. to turn people against what is actually the authentic love yes. of Christ and what it motivates people to do. And that right. is to care for one another, to love one another. And so many times, so many times, uh, people in the church use this verse. It's uh, it's uh, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your husband as to the mm-hmm. Lord. But they don't mm-hmm. tell you the rest of it. And they don't mm-hmm. tell you the verse right before that, which is 5.21. Mm-hmm. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then they don't tell you Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, but we selectively that in the letter where Paul says for women not to speak in the church in the same letter, he says that when they do, they should cover their heads. Right. Right. So you instructions sol- for how women should prophesy. So this must mean something different. Um, I was reading a book the other day and the verse you referenced in Ephesians, there was actually a reactionary translation done by Christian conservatives, the ESV. Yes. And yes, they moved today, that actually. verse, be subject one another, to be the end of the paragraph and put a title, a subtitle there, so that it starts with wives be subject to your husbands. Right, right. I actually uh, actually saw that earlier today. And I said, mm-hmm. when I was looking up the verse, mm-hmm. uh, I was looking at the translations and I saw it. And I said, this isn't right. Hold on. So I went and got my Bible. I'm like, I know this isn't. I was looking mm-hmm. online. And so yeah. we have this fear. We have this uh de- 
I would even say uh, demonic. He's not saying that demons are actually. It is, demons, it's it's deception. Yeah. It's, it's deception. It's manipulation of yeah. what Christ's love actually is. And yeah. instead of turning people to Christ, it's turning people away from Christ, sending people into spirals of rejection. However, there is hope. We do have people on the opposite side of the coin that are using Christ's love and Christ's message to motivate them to do what Christ would do. And one of those people, uh, I haven't told the audience yet, but one of those people is Councilwoman Sandra Vincent. So Councilwoman, after you've heard from Dr. Smith, you've heard Dr. Smith's stories, you see the parallels between the cult leader that uh, she fell victim to, and that's what it was, he victimized. I mean, he preyed on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that happening in the nation to where people are being preyed on to keep others in power even on the local level, you deal with it here in Henry County. How do you keep your head above? How do you use, tell us about your motivations. How do you keep your head above the fray? I believe what we have to do is we have to know God for ourselves through Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we we get caught up in is debating the issues Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to the gospel. And what we have to do is really focus on Holy Spirit living within us Mm -hmm. so that we can be Christ in the earth. You know, one of the things that scripture admonishes us to do is to don't judge. You know, that's that's like a fail safe. Just that's not your job. That's not my job is to judge. My job is to follow Christ. Love God, love your neighbor. Absolutely. Love 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 thy neighbor as you love yourself. And so one of the important conditions there is that we even have to employ self-love because Mm -hmm. there are people who don't love themselves. And if you don't love you really don't know how to love another person. So I think think the dispensation that we're in, given everything that has happened, even with COVID, um, you know, we talk a lot about prior president, 45, all of the labels that we've given him. (laughs) But in the same manner that uh, Judas had a role, he had a role as well. And that role was an uncovering of the consciousness of man. We were forced to look at ourselves and to consciously identify what is it that I believe? So it's it's like our value system is being recalibrated. And that's an important thing to happen at this juncture in time, because I believe that we're moving more from um, from what we read to relationship, where right. God in us is speaking yeah. to us. Yeah. You know, right. you see young people talking a lot about spiritualism. They're searching for God. You know, they don't know how to find Him. They're identifying with a. There's a whole lot of stuff that's going on right now, and. What I feel like as far as the church is concerned, we've really got to start walking out the love walk and we've got to start teaching people about how to get in the word and allow that word to become a part of us. Because that's how 
I stay above the fray. You know, I don't have to sit on the dais with the Bible and go to a particular verse because I've spent time in the word. And I know if the Bible tells me that the poor are going to be with you always. So if the poor are going to be with all with you always, then that means within your community, you have to have strategies to address that issue. It's already been said. You know, there's also the example that God himself gave us when he talked about uh, us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, right there between the first and the second verse, you're, you're seeing creation take place. And so uh, scripture says that the spirit of, of the Lord was above the water and it, it symbolizes vacillation and contemplation between what should and should not be. And that's how the earth itself was, was formed, was through that planning. So that's even another example of how we have to establish strategic plans for our communities. You know, we see in the book of Habakkuk where God talks about write the vision and make it plain. And so there are all these examples in scripture about how we are to carry out the work of, of the community. Um, the Bible says that when the righteous are in, in authority, the, the, people, the people rejoice. And then it says that when, when the wicked is, uh, it doesn't use the word uh, authority. It's, it's like when the wicked are in charge, you know, that which even signi signifies a different way of, of governance. Um, I love the word of God. I love scripture because every answer to every problem is in that book. And there are over 300 times when the word love is, is mentioned. God even gives us three different types of love. Um, and and this, this, this power of love, if we were talking from a spiritualism standpoint, is at one of the highest vibrations. When you love a person, and you walk out the love walk, it hides a multitude of fault. All of us have experienced people that drive us crazy. I know I've experienced it, but at the end of the day, we are to pray for those people and we are to continue to work with them, understanding who they are and what they are and not allowing them to remove us from the walk that we know that we've been, been called to. Um, I, I want to be more specific about whatever questions that you have, but that that has been my my staying power is really trusting in God, uh, knowing that Christ said that he would never leave me nor forsake me, knowing that if I have a problem and I need wisdom that I can ask of God. And I think sometimes we ask God, but we don't take the time to wait for the answer. And what I mean by waiting for the answer is not sitting there and waiting, but understanding that you may be sitting under a tree and somebody comes next to you and just kind of randomly starts talking, but they've got the answer that you've already prayed about. Right. Um, that's, that's important. And if we're focusing and keeping our eyes, especially as it relates on community, it's not a mystery. God wants unity. He wants unity in the body. He wants unity in the community. He wants equity. He wants right. inclusion. 
those things are not mysterious. So if we are Christians and we know that these are principles, God's not saying withhold resources from a particular group or award contracts to just our friends. Uh, that's not what God said. So as Christians, Again, we don't have to have the Bible to tell us what to do because we've spent time. I, I got to be very clear about that. We always need the Bible, but I'm talking about from the standpoint of folks talking about the separation of church and state. Sure. This word should be a constant for us. We should write it on our heart so that when we do governance, the way that we do governance is in, in, in reflection of what's already there because this word is life and it, it is loving and it speaks to an entire community, not just those who um, say that they are Christians. It's just like in government, when we get elected, I'm a Democrat, if I get elected in a particular office, I am there to serve Republicans as well as Democrats, not just the people that elected me. And, and somehow these things are getting twisted and we're getting mm -hmm. away from foundation. And I believe what, what we have to do as the body of Christ is to kind of go back to the basics and really mm -hmm. start walking out this, this word and teaching more. You know, we, I, I, I appreciate point. teaching pastors. I love my pastor. He is a teaching pastor to the mm -hmm. point that when COVID broke out, you know, and we couldn't assemble together as the body mm -hmm. of Christ, we are the church. And so mm -hmm. we were able to dig down into our various fears and situations and pull out what the word had said because we were, we were prepared. And some people, the, um, we are living epistles. We are the only Bible that some people will ever see. And it's not our job to put anybody in heaven or anybody in hell. Our job is to walk the walk, to talk the talk, and to be Christ in the earth. To love and God I, and love our neighbor. Yes. Everything yes. else falls up under that. And yes, I think it's falls really up under that. Said. I think it's and really I have to say, if I can, if I can say this, I really, I really want to add this because it, it, it really kind of highlights judgment. There was a season in my life where I felt like I had to be a part of a particular um, political party because mm -hmm. it was that political party that was talking about the love of Christ, right. talking about Jesus, talking about all the things that, that I grew up knowing, loving, living. Right. And so I felt like I had to be connected there. And, and, and soon there were, there were things I've, I've been guilty. So this is confession time. I've been guilty of saying, um, man, if you just get a job, <laughs> that's, that's all you need to do is you just need to get a job. And then God positioned me in a job where I saw the world from my window. Wow. And what yeah. I began to understand is some people, I don't care how hard they try, they will never get a job because the system is not equipped or nor is the system desirous of hiring those individuals. Everybody that's, that's on the street, especially if you made a mistake, because they're a drug addict, 
Some That's of right. them became drug addicts because they were on the street. That's right. And right. it's not for the grace of God. All go. of us are about three or four paychecks away from from being uh, on the street, and and so we we gotta have we gotta have more compassion, and 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 we've gotta really walk out in our policy. We've got to walk out the principles of equity and and inclusion and equality, and that's uh, funny. My prayer app is 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 uh, playing now. But we we've got we've got to walk that out in our policies because that's where a lot of systemic racism and and discrimination rest in policies. But the Christians who are at the table should be able to discern where these things are because they're not fair. They're not fair to all people. And again, these laws are not just made for Christians. They're made for all. Thank you. Because you know, God doesn't saying, tell us. Yeah. Christ didn't tell us to just love other Christians. No. Yeah. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, um, the, I can't find in the Bible where it says, make sure the government doesn't help people. Mm. I can't find that in the scripture. It's and, not, but and, you will yeah. hear people say that. Yeah. I had oh, a yeah. In so many it. ways, in so many ways. But one time I was in a little, I do little Facebook conversations. I don't, really do debates. I don't get ugly because I love people, but I'll ask them what they're thinking. And if they start, you know, going at it, I'll, I'll give them a couple scriptures, couple thoughts, and then I'll move on. But um, this one friend of mine who had also survived the, the cult I was in, she was, uh, she was a match ready to start a fire. She was, she was a hot mama and she got upset at some, one of my cousins, one of my redneck cousins said something dumb. And then I'd, they'd get into it and I'd say, so-and-so meet my cousin, so-and-so. Cousin, meet my best friend, so-and-so. You would like each other in real life. You really would. Right. But um, I remember at one point she just said, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen on Facebook. Actually, Jesus did give a man a fish for a day. Yes. <laughs> I just really like that. The um, yes. housing problem isn't going to be solved when we have not a single state in America where a minimum wage job can't get a two-bedroom apartment. It's terrible. it's terrible. What is a single mother supposed to do when a minimum wage job doesn't pay the rent for a two-bedroom apartment? But we are right now 3.3 million housing units short. Wow. And that includes apartments. We wow. are underhoused. They are not being built at least not where people can afford them because the builders have all moved to these high-end mansions and aren't building regular houses for regular people. 3.3 million. I want to share this as as it relates Mm -hmm. to problems and I'll be the first to admit that I have not been the best walker out of what I'm about to say. But I want to talk specifically about about young people. You know, I think every generation you're going to hear somebody say, Oh, these, oh, right. these children are so rebellious, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, by nature, young people challenge the status quo. That's what, they, that's what they do. They rebel. And so it is that rebellion that keeps us in a cycle of reinventing and, and, and improving the systems that we have. 
It's because of the questions. And I would submit to you that part of the problems that we're having when we're talking about global warming and we're talking about not having enough affordable housing, mm-hmm. we're having those problems because young people aren't at the table. You're not right. going to approach it the same way that we approach it. And I, I remember uh, specifically when God told Moses, and you know, we all know that he was doing all these great miracles with the staff and part in the sea. And, you know, he and that staff was a dynamic <laughs> duo. And then one day God said, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. And yeah. so guess what Moses did? Moses smote the rock with the staff because that had worked in the past. And it was because of that, that he could not go into the promised land because in the promised land, there was a new way of thinking. So it had nothing to do with him killing, you know, a, a soul, none of that. It was God said, this is a new way of doing this. I want you to do it this way. And because he couldn't make that mind adjustment, then that was the end. And and there's going to be a point in all of our lives where because of how we are wired, we're not going to be able to go to that next level. You know, for some folks is remote controls, VCRs (laughs) and and microwaves, you know, but there's going to be that time when it first is uncomfortable, then I just give up. Let me call my grandchild a great grandchild. There's going to be a season in our life when when that happens. But right now, you know, we're complaining about how people wear their hair, piercings, pants, sagging, all of this. The rebellion is going to take place because the charge has not been given. And if we start giving young people the charge of solving some of the issues of the day, then they're able to redirect that, Mm -hmm. that thing because right now what what they're doing is nothing makes sense to them even even christianity doesn't make sense to them so it's like looking for god in other places because they haven't been able they haven't been taught how to really take the bible and look at it as a living epistle a spiritual book not just a book that has history in it. There are layers in this document. And a lot of the revelation that we receive comes by way of the Holy Spirit. So the teaching is to establish a relationship with God because if the truth be known, Jesus didn't just come so that we could go to heaven. Jesus came to re-implement and reinstitute the relationship that started in the garden. Right. That's right. Where man could talk to God himself. Right. And we And we that is the other and here says that's that. the only reason we're still here. God is not slow regarding keeping his promise. The promise of his coming is what it's talking about, but he is not willing that any should perish. If right. God wasn't mindful of those who need, we would all already be gone. Right. And I'll submit, I'll submit this to you as well. What he said mm-hmm. was, he, he said specifically that he's coming back for a church without yes. spot or wrinkle, blemish, whichever word you choose to, to yes. use. 
And so while we're looking at all of the end time prophecies and how things are going south very quickly and, you know, casting all judgment on that, we're not looking at at the same time that that's happening we are supposed to be elevating in our ability because what Jesus said when he left was that greater works what we yep. do. And instead, right. we're, instead, we're spiraling. The church as a whole is spiraling downward, especially here in the United States. And we actually make up only a small, a relatively small population of the church worldwide. I mean, there's over a billion and a half of us worldwide. Uh, it's crazy to think about that they're focusing so much. So many people are focusing on these end time prophecies, talking about the world's coming to an end, the world's coming to an end. But at the same time, they're using fear and talking about we need to keep things from changing to try to hold on to power. And they're using that fear that has been ingrained in us for so long, especially in the church as a weapon against us and a weapon against the nation. And it's working and it's preventing, as you said, young people from being able to make a positive change in our society. And the best example is AOC. AOC is challenging uh, the conservative mindset and, yeah. cons- and challenging not just the conservative mindset, but even the, uh, the uh, liberal mindset. She's challenging both parties, how things have been done and it's a pushback of fear among both sides, but especially the conservatives, a pushback of fear of what this is going to come to. And they'll turn to somebody like uh, Lauren Boebert and they'll say, but no, we elected we elected her. But Lauren Boebert got elected using that fear as well, telling you how things are changing and how uh, defund the police is uh a terrible thing that's coming, how Black Lives Matter is here to burn down your city, how uh, we, we got told that, uh, Councilwoman, uh, in McDonough, the day that we did the Black Lives Matter protest in McDonough, the police literally had to form a line between us and the street because people had threatened to shoot uh, bottle rockets at us as they drove by during the You protest. know, I was living in Amarillo when I saw for the first time the desecration of the American flag to black and white with a thin blue line. Right. And it, I was delivering, I was in a street ministry delivering food to kids in some neighborhoods where they needed some food. And uh, I was raised to never desecrate the flag. Right. And I took one look at it and said, they want to change who we are. They want to change who we are. They want to, and they, they want America. They don't want the constitution. They no, want they a police state, and I, I am pro-police, don't get me wrong, but um, this is evil. There's something evil about this flag. Um, right. We've desecrated what was a symbol of a God-given understanding of checks and balances and compromise and my will giving way to yours sometimes. It's just, it's, it's, it's evil. But, you know, Jesus was born into a time that was a hot mess, too. Right, And he didn't hang out with the zealots that wanted to burn everything down. And he didn't hang out with the Pharisees. I mean, he did. He, hung, he actually hung out with both. Everybody was welcome at Jesus's table, but he didn't follow right. the, the mess that Herod had made of Judaism, that, that um, 
that Annas and Caiaphas had made of Judaism, that Rome had made of democracy. Jesus didn't worry about all that. He just, he just did what he was supposed to do. He stuck to the path. And I, and I think there's a real model there. I, I ask people sometimes to give me Jesus's sermons against homosexuality in the Roman Empire. And they can't because... They're not there. That wasn't his focus. And Paul said, regarding sexual sins, if you were going... He said, I'm talking about inside the church. If you were going to avoid sexual sin in the world, you'd have to leave the world. We're not called to call out sexual sin in the world. We're not called a judge. We're called a love. We're specifically told in the New Testament that we're not called to call out sexual sin in the world. We're not. And, and I think we've really aired. I would love to see the energy that goes into right-wing politics go into the gospel, feeding the nations, or prayer. Can but if you they did that, if that energy if, went into prayer? If they did that, it wouldn't be right-wing politics. It would be left-wing politics. If they put their if they put their energy into helping others, it wouldn't be right wing politics. It would be left wing politics. Things would change. And, and let me tell you, I know we have to wrap up, but I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, we're getting close little, to the end. <laughs> one little story, real quick. So in 2016, I had been um, I had come out of the cult, but stayed in very conservative churches. Um, long story, and uh, I had finally moved to another town where my church was neither right or left. It was just Let's preach the gospel and feed these kids. It was a great church. And Hillary Clinton was running for president and Donald Trump captured, and I had been a Republican activist. I was the Republican who, yes, I was a sheep, but I was trying to elevate candidates of color, trying to elevate women and get them to run for office and not just do the behind the scenes work and trying to put forth conservative solutions to immigration at the Texas border. I was that Republican. So I was a Democrat, but I didn't know it. <laughs> you didn't know at the time you were a Democrat. Um, and when, when Donald Trump secured the nomination, I went from supporting Ben Carson to supporting Carly Fiorona to supporting Marco Rubio to supporting, I even ended up voting for Ted Cruz in the primary because he was the only not Trump left standing. Um, when um, that person won the nomination, and as a person who had seen what I had seen and been taught of God, the things I've been taught could not support that candidate in good faith. I went looking through the scriptures and it took a while. And I went to a missions conference and met a woman who taught me these two words, complementarian and egalitarian. And I had never heard those words because when you're complementarian, they don't use the word. It's just Bible. And I began to research and realized I had been a Democrat all along. She had me read Ezra Klein, Jory Micah, and one other person. Um, and thank God for that woman who helped me gradually shift. And today, I have a medical ministry that spans Russia, El Salvador, Mexico. And here at home, we have a free clinic for the uninsured. And everything God ever told me has come true. I think this generation has been given the charge for this time, however messy it is. And I don't know if think we need to be afraid of the mess. I think we just need to steer a straight course and say the right. things God has given us to say. And there, there's so much more I want us to get into and I want us to say, 
Uh, unfortunately, we have already hit an hour and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have to cap it. So, but at the final, I want to turn to Councilwoman Vincent mm-hmm. and I want to ask you because we live in an area, uh, the Councilwoman and I, we live in an area that uh, is pretty much, depending on the part of the county that you're in, half of the county is very conservative, half of the county is uh, very uh, liberal, and uh, it kind of clashes right where your district is. But here's the, here's the thing, uh, Councilwoman and Dr. Smith, and I know you'll agree with me. When we talk about the love of Christ motivates our politics, and that's why we're liberals. That's why we follow the left wing, uh, the left side of the politics, the left side of the aisle. We also mean by that, that that love of Christ, that motivation means we want it for everybody. We understand that Donald Trump got elected, Lauren Boebert got elected, Marjorie Taylor Greene got elected, Jim Jordan continues to get elected, Mitch McConnell is going to wind up spending the rest of eternity in Congress because people are afraid. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And they have used that, they have used that fear to seize power and keep power. But the reality is on local issues, we all agree. We all want better jobs. We all want good education. We all want better transportation, especially in Henry County, amen. Uh, We all want uh, security. We all want to pay less taxes. We all want the same thing when it comes to local issues, but the national rhetoric is turning us against each other to the point that on the local level, if you have Democrat and Republican in front of your name, you can't get along. So Councilwoman Vincent, uh, as we we leave out our our final thought, how do we overcome that? How do we show as people on the left, as political activists on the left, but most importantly, as Christians, believers who believe in the love of Christ, that we don't want to ostracize you. We don't want to isolate you. We don't want to feed into that fear that you've been told. In fact, we love you and we want to reach you and to embrace you as part of us, as one community. How do we get to that place of community and unity when the national rhetoric is dividing us? You have to put blinders on. And while I'm not purporting being ignorant about what's being said, I'm I'm talking about writing a vision of of unity and together, togetherness. Because even when I think about other people who uh, politically are different from me, I know they love Jesus just like I do. And so in terms, I love them. And that's what we have to do. If, if you see that the world is, is not acting right, then start at your own house, start in your own community, figure out the things that we can agree upon and work on those. Yes. Don't create opportunities for division. We're always going to disagree. My great grandmother used to say all the time, baby, teeth and tongue fall out. You know, that, that's always, that means there is always going to be a disagreement somewhere but we have to intentionally identify those things that we can jointly support and focus on Christ. And somewhere in our focusing on Christ, then Holy Spirit is able to do the perfect work within all of us and bring us to this place of unity. What you focus on, if you write a goal and that is your intent, 
then that's the direction that you're going to head. And I think that's what we're, that's what we're missing. We need to have these goals of unity within our community. We need to identify those things that we can work together on. And then the rest will take care of itself because it's all about focus. It's all about coming together and less about division because we can argue and debate things from here on out. You put two, three pastors in the same room and they'll debate scripture. You're 100% right. None, none of them will agree on everything. You can't debate relationship and you can't right. debate when people come together and they decide this is what we're going to work on and we work through how we're going to do it, but we know what our end goal is. And that goes back to Habakkuk 4 and 4 with writing the vision and making it plain. And when we do that and we assemble around what we agree, um, oh my God, let me say this real quick. Um, the Tower of Babel, you know, we always look at that as being this evil situation where there were these evil people and they built this, this tower to the heavens and God had to confound you know, their language in order to stop all the evilness of the day. But what that scripture is also telling us is that we can do anything through the power of agreement. And if we come together and we agree on, on SPLOST, on T-SPLOST, on different projects, on priorities within our community, figuring out how the cities can work with the city and the county, when we do these things and we're all working together for a common goal, then that's how we bypass the national rhetoric, by proving that there is a model for success within our community. Right. I think you're 100% correct, Councilwoman. And I, I admire you because you, you put that into practice. This is why I call you a, a good politician. And I don't, <laughs> when I say good politician, I don't mean you're good at politics. I mean, genuinely <laughs> a good person that is in politics. And you put those blinders on. For example, you just uh, dealt with an issue where a developer was uh, breaking uh, the codes that were agreed upon. And it didn't matter what flack you caught from it, how unpopular or whatever it is, you knew that it was right to stand up to this and you were willing to stand up for it. Uh, you didn't care about the, uh, if it bought you popularity, if people agreed with it, you did what was right. And I think, and you did it without the term Democrat, without the term Republican, you did it because it was the best thing for our community. And I, that's extremely important, and it really it defines, honestly, what we should do to move forward. It all comes down to doing what's right and loving one another. Loving Her one another. Love casts out fear. Yeah. Yes. That's how if, we, if we love, we're, if we love one another, we're going to want to do what is right for one another, what is best for one another. Right. And we're not going to put our own action, our own desires first, because so many times that's the core of all our problems is human desires being put first. And so to close out, I want uh, either of you, both of you rather, to uh, give us a couple uh, words to close out on. Dr. Smith, we started with you, so we will uh, end with Councilwoman Vincent. So Dr. Smith, if you will uh, give us some final words. Perfect love cast out fear. 
we've been talking about a deceptive movement that uses fear to deceive people. But love is the answer, not just debate, love. We do have to speak up for the oppressed. There are times we do have to pull the curtain back on deception. And that's a righteous judging as opposed to a critical judging. Um, never ever doubt that a small group of determined people led by God and in his power can change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. That, that was, uh, you just gave me chill bumps. Uh, that was amazing. Councilwoman Vincent, uh, end us with a few final words. The word that we've heard throughout tonight was love. That's mm -hmm. loving people who don't look like us, loving people who don't think like us, just learning how to truly love. And, you know, we see a lot of attacks that are taking place. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing about it is the people who are doing some of these things truly believe that they are right. And the only way that we will move forward as a community is to figure out ways in which to work together so that we can move the agenda of equity, equality, love, uh, community, betterment. The only way that we'll do that is by establishing a filter of love because quite frankly, people are going to get on your nerves and that's just the yes. reality of it. So you've got to have a superpower and I believe that love is a superpower. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And to finish, to finish, I will end the same way I did last week, but I will turn, I will take it one verse further. Uh, I quoted John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But there's another verse that comes after that so many times we leave out. For God did not send his son into the world to save the world, uh, to condemn the world, but that it might be saved through him. And my name is Thomas White. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that black lives matter, that only a woman has the right to choose what happens to her body, and that sensible gun control can save lives. And I refuse to be silent. Amen. Thank you.